Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 172 of Yoga Land. Welcome to the season finale of 2019, Jason. Season, not series, right? No, it's the season finale. It's the season finale, I know. Do you remember what we talked about in the first episode? No. Of the season? Do you? Yeah, I do. We of talked the year or the season? Of the season. Okay. Yeah, not of the year. Okay. I have no idea what we're Me talking neither. about. I don't even, yeah. But at the beginning of this season, I believe, now I'm just totally cast into inner doubt, but I think we talked about navigating changes as a yoga teacher. Yes, I think we did. And that's mm-hmm. kind of perfect because we will touch in on some of that as we review some of the things that have changed for us this year and and what we've been emphasizing and what we look forward to moving forward. Yes, we're going to do a year in review and we promise it won't be boring. It'll be so exciting. I mean, it'll be as not boring as we usually are. <laughs> <laughs> so I can't I can't promise that we're go- like if you thought we were boring, all of a sudden we're not going to be boring. But we're not going to be more boring than usual. Oh my gosh. Okay. Let's get started. <laughs> As, as Sophia often says to me, oh. Um, you know what she did? What? Yesterday we were wrestling. You know, we were, I was like, we were playing jujitsu. And there's one point where she stopped and went, namaste. <laughs> <laughs> I love how she always does it with a little sense of irony. Like she thinks what, that it's a little bit Do silly. Do you think so? Oh, yeah. Okay. Like she's playing. At yeah. It, right. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's like, girl. It's our profession. It yeah. is not, don't laugh at that. But it's a kid's profession to give their parents hassle. Exactly. Yeah, yeah definitely. Definitely. So I think we're going to start with the spotlight on you. Yes, of course. Of course. And let's hear what you feel has changed for you in the past year for the better. Okay. So just with regards to teaching and technique, right? Let's, let's kind of limit it to Not that in regards now. to our amazing <laughs> not, not in Chihuahua. to my depth or my scope or my you know, Uh technique. I think that this year for me as a teacher has been a really important year of consolidation. I had been for years starting to make kind of inch around certain changes and starting to implement certain changes. And I feel like this year, pardon the cliche phrase, but I've really leaned into it and I've consolidated some of the changes in my approach to teaching. One of the big things for me that's come up is this was really the first full year that the way that I taught my classes, the way I taught my sequences were really curriculum based. So this was really the first year from beginning to end that at the beginning of any about four week period of time, I said, hey, you guys, these are the things that we're going to emphasize in class. We're going to more or less emphasize the same bullet points And we're more or less going to keep the same sequence with some changes here and there for about a month. And I had been wanting to do that for a long time. I had for the most part done it last year, but I I don't think I had orchestrated it quite as well last year. So this year, you know, those of you that are familiar with my classes, whether they're online or or live or uh, training students, know that the sequencing structure that I use is comprehensive. It's balanced. Every class that you take of mine, you do a little bit of everything the body does. But we also have focal points. So for about a month, we have a consistent set of themes and focal points that we develop. So 
that students get more consistency and a more methodical approach in their education. So how has it gone? It's gone super, super well. And one of the reasons it's gone well is because it works so well for me. Mm. And this is something that I've been talking to teachers a lot about is you have to, as a yoga teacher, you have to find a process that works for you, which isn't to say that the student isn't important, of course, but you have to put yourself in a position where you can do your job as well as you can do your job. And for me, the best way I can do my job is to significantly limit decision fatigue. I never wake up and think, what am I going to teach today, right? And to work from a much more editorial approach of saying, this month, we're going to focus on X, Y, and Z for reasons A, B, and C. And then we just continue to build on that. And two things that are coming up for me is, number one, it's the most Virgo thing that I can do. Like, it's the organized thing that I can do because I have a brain that has a lot of ideas about yoga. And so the more structured and consistent I am with those ideas, the better I can communicate them, Mm. you know? And I think the other thing that it's done is it's helped yoga students think much more about multiple timeframes. So what I mean by that is when you go to a yoga class of any duration, you want to move, you want to breathe, you want to connect, you want to feel better. You want like, you want that one class to feel good. But to me, that's a given. So one of the things that I'm really trying to communicate, and I think so many of my students got, especially in San Francisco, is that that's not the only time frame you want to think about. You want to think about what kind of depth am I accruing in these 60 or 90 minutes over the course of an entire year? You know, you want to think a little bit more like, if I go to a year of classes, is that going to be a year of good but random experiences that don't matriculate towards greater depth and scope? Or or is it going to be like reading a book in order where you start to realize, oh, not only does this one class feel good, but this class built on the previous class and the previous class, and now I have a more clear and comprehensive understanding of what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. So for me, just on every level, it just works really well. And I feel like this is the year that I've 100% owned it with no fear around it. Mm, that's you great. Know? Yeah. A couple other things that I think have really consolidated. You know, I've, I've brought them up on a lot of different experiences, but I've had the fortune to work with, to have really great yoga teachers, really like high-level yoga teachers. And I've also had the fortune to have many students that are experts in how to use the body that are coming from other modalities, whether it's sports medicine, orthopedics, physical therapy, any of those. And having students that have those skills, I've worked with several of them and I've been able to cross-pollinate technique. And really, I won't say have like a review board as such, but it's been really nice this year especially working with one of those doctors, Dr. Brian Lau in Hong Kong. And he gave such an important contribution to my 300-hour training there. And there were just some really key technical things and concepts that I feel like working with him this round helped me sort out as a yoga teacher, you know, kind of stepping out of the 
for me, stepping out of the yoga box and looking at yoga through a different prism helped me become even more clear in the technique and the values that I'm trying to teach Mm -hmm. physically, right? So a lot of focus on not just creating length, but creating strength in lengthened positions. A lot of work with emphasizing eccentric strength. In simple terms, stability, but a more complete understanding of what that actually means. So I feel like my emphasis this year in helping people become not just more effective in passive range of motion, which is super important. Passive ranges of motion are super important. But understand that if you're going to increase your passive ranges of motion, that you also want to increase your active ranges of motion and your strength in those passive ranges of motion. And also developing a technique where I can provide all of those ingredients to my students and fairly balanced ratios. Like to me, those have been the really big things. Mm -hmm. Have you gotten any feedback from people? I have a lot of students that are coming back to class. Oh, good. You know what I mean? I I think that the feedback is, I think especially when you have a, a more experienced student that has applied a lot of different kinds of technique. And also one that has good independent thinking and critical thinking skills. You know, and those are two things that for me as a yoga teacher, I think are so important is helping people become critical thinkers, but also independent thinkers so that they can do good problem solving on their own. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like when they're introduced to the range of concepts of the value of passive range of motion, but that passive range of motion working alone is a very limited attribute. It helps people resonate with it very, 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 very clearly. I would say the last thing, which is the smallest thing, which is technique-wise, I'm just broadening strides so much. Why? So, okay, so think about this. Like, not wide, not creating more distance okay. between the feet, but creating more width. Oh, okay. So let's take bridge. So you're actually um, teaching to women's bodies instead of thin, straight up and down male bodies. I'm not, I'm neither confirming nor denying (laughs) anything you said. I don't see men. I don't see women. I just see the transcendent self. See people. Okay. (laughs) I don't even see people. I just see oneness. Great. Yes. And in that oneness, What I see is not just pelvic circumference that is larger, but just really the mechanical logic of not having feet close together. (laughs) It just doesn't make sense. I mean, so again, that isn't to say that you can't choose. Uh, Let me just, let's just take one example, because I think one example is valuable. The example of bridge, or if you prefer the example of Ordvidzanyarasana. If in your bridge pose, you are a happy, content, integrated backbender, and your feet are parallel to each other and hip width apart, that's good. There's no reason to change that. Like, there's no reason to change that. That's a wonderful thing. That's not wrong. That's right. But that's not the only right. So if you just kind of think about it for a moment, if I wanted to, if I wanted to pick up a heavy weight and we think about our body when our, in our reality, our body is a heavy weight, right? But if I want to pick up that chair that's there, 
would I put my feet close together? I would not. And the reason I wouldn't is because that gives me less stability in my base, which then with less stability in my base, I can't access as many of my muscle groups or as thoroughly to do the job. Now, do I want the feet super, super wide? Not necessarily, but feet hip width apart is right, but feet a little wider than hip width apart is also very right for many people. So the amount of times that I walk around a yoga room and I look at people's feet and I'm just like, take the feet as wide as your yoga mat, see how that feels. If you prefer that, maintain that. If you have any questions about it after class, come let me know. I can't tell you the amount of people that all of a sudden when they take their feet a little bit wider than the narrow thinking that they've been presented with, all of a sudden the pose works much better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the thing is, is like, there's no mechanical rationale that says it is wrong to take the feet wider than hip width apart in that part. There's zero, like all of a sudden the wheels are not going to fall off. There's no logical or even plausible reason why having the feet a little wider than your hip joints is problematic. The only reason it's problematic is because it doesn't fit into a singular definition of what is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So again, I, I don't tell people to, and again, it's same thing with hands, right? This is particularly important. I don't want to like totally go down this rabbit hole, but like this is particularly important for people that have more resistance. So think about this is like when you have in a bri- in bridge or ordovidanyarasana, when your front body is presenting you with more resistance, you need more workload to manage that resistance. So if you have a lot of resistance in the front body and the anterior chain with your back bends, if you have greater resistance, then you need to recruit more musculature to support your body under that resistance. And that is an easier thing for some bodies to do when you take the feet wider. And the arms. Yeah, and the arms. I've always kept my hands a little wider in Orvidanyarasana. Always. Yeah. I think it was probably Natasha Rosopoulos who was the first teacher who was like, it's okay. It's totally okay. (laughs) It's totally okay. And if you look at like, if you look at like an Olympic lifter and they have 600 pounds overhead in like a full press, are the arms shoulder width apart? No, of course not. The arms are much wider than shoulder width apart because of the amount of load that they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So again, this is, I'm not randomly telling people all the time, feed hip width apart, shoulder hip width apart is wrong. I'm saying that is right. But through through greater education and the development of critical thinking experience, skills and experience, you see that what is right is not limited to that alignment. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It, it actually really reminds me of the idea of like art versus function. So when I used to do like sort of stricter traditions. So when I used to do Ashtanga and and that is a tradition where keeping the feet more narrow is, yeah. is how you're taught. Because I knew enough about the body, even at that point, I knew that there wasn't a functional reason Correct. for it. It was just like ballet where 
first position is your feet turned out to basically 90 degrees. Yeah. It's not functional for your body to do that, but it's beautiful. That's part of that discipline. And that's, if that's what you want to do, I wanted to do it for many, many years. I did ballet for many, many years. Like I took part in that tradition for that reason. So if you want to do that and it is quite beautiful to keep the feet together and the, the legs narrow and think of like a warrior one where you, it's almost like you're on a balance beam. It's quite beautiful. But if if you want to do a more functional approach and that doesn't work for your body, right. that's the other option. So. Yeah. I think two things on that is what is functional for body A and what is functional for body B may be different, yeah. right? And we know that, like intuitively know it. And I would say that that's a direction that the majority of the yoga world has gone is to understand that there aren't like singular reducible alignment truths, which isn't to say everything goes, right? right? Right. It isn't to say everything goes, but that's one point. The other point is it is much easier as a yoga teacher teaching a mass population. And I mean a mass population as anything more than two, right? To tell them one thing, one specific repeatable, identifiable thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's some of the reason that certain alignment, I don't want to go so far as to say a myths, but limited notions. That's how we start to have this very limited notion of technique and alignment is because as a teacher, I have to give something achievable. I have to give something understandable. And saying feet hip width apart or saying feet together, like, those are fairly measurable. You know, those are fairly measurable things. So that makes my job in a large group easier. And I think that the challenge is, it's kind of like kindergarten. What you learn in kindergarten is not wrong, but that's not the totality of truth. So it's the same thing, feet together or feet hip width apart. That's not wrong, but that's not the totality of truth. But as a teacher, it's very difficult to get into the gray area and to the nuances and why person A should still have the feet hip width apart. Well, whereas person B, because we can see resistance in that front body is such that they need a little bit support and to access greater support, the feet need to go wider and maybe even turn slightly out. Oh my gosh. We're not even going to go there. 10 to 15 degrees. We're not going to go there. Right I'm now. just saying- it took me so long for me to even get my feet to go parallel. It's rational. It's mechanically sound. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think the last thing for me, just kind of broad technique wise, is getting better at articulating what I'm articulating now, which is you can be for something without necessarily being against something else. So for me to communicate to students that I don't think this is a black and white issue of is passive stretching good or is engaged stretching good? The answer is yes. It depends on the conditions and the repetitions of both. Mm -hmm. Same thing is feet together good. It's totally fine. It's not my recommendation, but... For many bodies, if you opt into that, that doesn't mean you're opting into dysfunction. It means you're opting into a different belief system. And so I feel like for the most part, I've been better at communicating why I am increasing my technical range of what's correct 
instead of decreasing it over time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Let's focus on you for a moment. Okay. So we just kind of talked about some of my, I would say improvements, but some of the changes that I've made this year and kind of what I'd, I've leaned into. I want to hear from you just kind of broad strokes like that. Mm-hmm. You have been mostly podcasting. Mm-hmm. What are the things this year that you feel like that you've learned, that you've progressed in, that you've sure. developed? Uh, I don't know if I will be quite as articulate as you, but it, this year was a huge year for me, just on many, many levels. I started out 2019 with my first online course. Right. So that was called Start Your Year with Self Care, and it was a self care and meditation course. And to went really well. And it was really exciting for me to just offer something in a different format and to offer meditation and to connect with people. It was so much fun. I loved it. And then I offered it again in May. I reran it in May and I invited the people who had done it the first time to come back to the Facebook group because that was such a nice place to connect. And we did a lot of ask me anythings and different things like that. So That was just a highlight of the year, I would say. And because I was kind of busy developing that, I decided to, instead of do the podcast every week, to do seasons. So this is the first year I did distinct seasons. And it was kind of a hard decision for me to do that because I'm such a workhorse. I'm so used to like content every week, every week, every week, every week. And then I did it and it was like the best relief of my life and just gave me some time in between seasons to plan and regroup and do some research. And it was really necessary because I celebrated the third year of the podcast in April. And so here I am still developing this content pretty much on my own. I have an assistant, Erica. Hello, Erica. You are wonderful. Who helps me so much with so much of like the technical and background of things, but really content wise, it's me in a vacuum or me with you. So having those seasons and taking a break was great. It also was great for my parenting. And just as anyone who's a parent knows, it's a wild ride and you, it's an unpredictable ride and you really never know what kind of growth they're going to be going through at any particular time. And this year in the beginning of the year was really hard for Sophia. And toward the end of the year now she's she's doing great but just giving myself that little breathing room like the world didn't fall apart which was a huge lesson for me i would say also it does take time to develop mastery of anything and i would say this format i feel really comfortable with where i am in terms of having the systems in place and having the process in place and having my mental process in place of preparing for interviews and talking to people. And I can remember when I first started doing it, how nervous I was and how I would have questions written out and then sub-questions written out and then sub-questions of the sub-questions written out. And now I just kind of go, I know the touch points that I want to make sure I get through with people. I try to still be very prepared, but I trust myself a lot more to be able to engage and just to just do it. So, I mean, I think that's in part, I'm saying that so that people know that whenever you start any new endeavor with content, there's a learning curve and there's, um, there's some pain points. And if you just keep 
doing it, it's the right fit for you and you keep doing it, you know, you do get to a place of feeling, feeling more comfortable. Yeah. Are there certain things? I have two questions for you. Um, Just off the top of your head, I assume the episodes would be episodes with me. <laughs> Are you going to ask me my favorite episodes? Yeah. Are there some some things that just kind of need to pick my babies that just kind of come up just intuitively? Don't look. Oh, I'm going to look. Oh, you know I am like you just interviewed Sean, which was really nice because you haven't talked to Sean in a while. I and talking to Sean's always adore nice. Sean. I miss seeing her at conferences. She's really just one of the best, one of the best people. Just, I mean, I. I can't pick. Susanna Harwood Rubin, we talked about breast cancer. She's uh, incredible yeah, yeah. and articulate. Sarah Kusera is a new Ayurveda practitioner slash teacher who I met through Gina Caputo, who I think is just, I, I just adore Sarah. I love her. She's got a very modern approach to Ayurveda and she's got a very, her personality is very soft. I just really, really like her. I enjoyed talking to her. Nicole Cardoza. Okay, wait a second. That's four, four. <laughs> Jules Mitchell. That's we, five. We had fun talking to Jules this year. So yeah. many impressive people in our community. You yeah, guys. for sure. It is really nice for to sure. actually think about it, look back and think about it that way because it's a lot of work to do this and to like keep finding the the really great stories. And I'm I'm at this point, I'll be honest right now, where I'm getting so many pitches, I'm a little overwhelmed with I'm a little info overwhelmed. And I want to be able to feature like every single person the way they want to be featured. And that's just, that's hard. Yeah. Now, are there some things this year that you, or right now that you feel like are still pain points for you that things that are just that you just feel internally or professionally that you're struggling with? You know, I mean, for me, it's, it's always the parenting work balance Yeah, in terms of having enough hours to devote to the work and do the research that I need to do. As I mentioned, it's three and a half years in, I'm looking for, when I started doing the podcast, it was all my friends. It was like, I had edited Sally for years. And so I had Sally Kempton on and all of the people who I spoke to in the first year were people I knew pretty well. Now I'm talking to people. Sometimes I haven't, a lot of the time I haven't even met them. So it just takes more effort. And sometimes that's really hard when I'm balancing you traveling or Sophia going through whatever she's going through. That's the main thing for me. Yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. Mm -hmm. And what about for you? What are some pain points for you? Can we talk about some of my favorite episodes first? Oh, sure. I'm only going to talk about the ones I was on. Oh, God. (laughs) I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, come on. Okay, go for it. <laughs> Out with it. No, no, no. I just wanted to bring up two. Okay. The two li- the live episodes that we did. Oh. Just that that's such a become such a fun thing. The one yeah, we did yeah, at Trioga. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that, that was- that's the only reason I'm bringing it up is right because it's like one of the most the places that I'm most comfortable is when I'm teaching not a class when I'm teaching a training. I'm even more comfortable teaching trainings than I am teaching classes, right? Just because. That's where my mind is. My mind is so often in the artistry and the content development and the communication of teaching. So I even like teaching, teaching more than teaching yoga. Mm -hmm. Did did that make any sense? Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. But it's also, I'm so comfortable talking to you. And I know that so many of my students 
my God, they get so many earfuls from me. You know what I mean? They practice with oh, me Oh, you mean online. I'm a nice breath of fresh air? Well, having you there, like they get really, <laughs> people get really excited. Yeah, it's really sweet. To get to meet you and have you be present for some of those trainings. And it's also nice for me to, it's like, take your wife to work day. <laughs> you know so what I mean? Really like I spend so yeah. much time doing that work. Yeah. That it's nice to have you there and have you kind of get a feel for no, I love it being I, in that room and, and yeah. sharing it, and it was really nice to have you not just at Love Story in San Francisco this year, but also at Tri Yoga. That was so fun. It's always so fun for me to go into that space and to meet the students and. Also to just be in that energy again, because I'm rarely, you know, I'm not doing teacher trainings anymore. So it is a highlight for me too. And also just to put faces to the names. There's so many people who I see on social media all the time, see in quotes, and then like I meet them in person. I know who they are. I know who you are. Uh, It's really amazing. Totally. So I do love it too. And I would say the other thing that's been so valuable about being in the trainings for me is having all of the questions about content come up because that has informed sort of the next project that I'm working on right now. Yeah. Terms of challenges for me, I mean, as a teacher, I would say that one of the challenges that I still experience is the nature of teaching drop-in classes, you know, is that I love it. There's so many people that travel my scale and they don't teach public classes. But I'm committed to teaching public classes. And I have been forever and I will keep that. But there's just, even though I spoke earlier that I teach more or less like a set of focal points for a month, I just wish at some point, I hope at some point that I'm able to convert everything to ongoing series. Hmm. Series. I always, I got busted so much by a student of mine in Hong Kong, Duncan, who raises his hand and says, why do you say series is? <laughs> he actually asked that. That's hilarious. Yeah, he's a It's the plural of series. Um, it's basically series with an apostrophe at the end. Series is. I don't think it is. Yeah. Series is. I like to teach more than one series. I like to teach two series. No, it's just series. Really yeah, so. It does sound really weird. But regardless. Say series is five times fast. Series is. Okay. Just kidding. Um, Everyone's everyone's Siri is going to be blowing up. Uh, by the way, we haven't talked about Siri lately. I have never come across anyone that is worse at their job than Siri. Yes, I hope uh, I don't get sued by Apple. On but. my watch, do you know that I will be reading Harry Potter to Sophia and I? And all of a sudden, we're sitting there and we hear because I have her set on the British setting, and she's like, uh, "Hello, I didn't quite get that." <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm reading gonna... Harry Potter. I didn't say Siri. There is serious and Harry Potter. Oh, maybe. Anyways, I digress. I would just love an even more collegial approach where it's a quarter. Where you, And I know that's so hard as a student. Yeah, I, I totally get so it. Hard. I totally get it. But as a teacher, I just know how much development and skill is compounded when you have a consistent and methodical approach. It's and, also like doing seasons in the podcast. Yeah. This is every week, yeah. grinding it out, grind, yeah. grind, 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 grind. And yeah. I think also too, like the more I try to teach the big picture, you know, not just like a good class, but the more I really think in large 
comprehensive chunks of what yoga is to me in every way, that's hard to teach in 90 minutes. Yeah. You know, it just is. It's like, and I say this to people in trainings all the time, get yoga out of it. Imagine that you're a math teacher and you really want to teach your students, but it's all levels math and there's no structured curriculum and you just, you want to entertain people so that they like math, but you also want to educate them. Your hands are really tied with the, with your depth and scope. Yeah. You know, all so levels math class. all level math, <laughs> That's crazy. maths, yeah. right? Yeah. All levels. It's crazy. Yeah. And we got to be inclusive, right? You don't want like, you don't want Jimmy to feel bad because Jimmy like doesn't know one plus one. Right. And yet you want Sarah to also feel included and she's doing advanced level calculus. Yeah. And you as the teacher are somewhere in the middle and you're like, well, I want everyone to feel like they're having a good time and they're learning. Right. It's really hard. It's preposterous, actually. It's absurd. Yeah. yeah. And we do our best as teachers, but I feel like that's something that continues to come up for me as this structural challenge that I hope at some phase of my life I address better than I'm addressing now. And then I would say professionally too, I have taught so many trainings so intensely that I've really had a hard time doing other content. Like the blog stuff, the sequence blog stuff, more active social media. Like I have the most mediocre, I have good social media content, but I have I'm going to publish like once or twice a week on average. Yeah. Same. Right? Yeah. So those things I'm having a harder time getting to because of the scope of work that I'm doing. And also just like, I'm not saying I'm overworked, but the emotional investment that I have of doing a teacher training program, I can't during those days also do some no. random posts. No. I can't. I can't. I wouldn't be in service to your students either. Yeah, I don't think I don't think it would be a wrong thing, but it's no, like, but it requires a lot of energy and attention and time, and I mean, this is yeah, no. So, so I go through those phases where I wish I want to be even more prolific in between the trainings, and I'm really struggling with it. Yeah, you know, I'm really, really, really struggling with don't it. Don't worry, I'm ready to crack the whip again. I know. I've got I the know. I've got the air tables set up, and I found this new. Uh, this is not an ad, but I found a new app for my organization called Airtable. And you guys, I am obsessed. I'm she obs- is obsessed. I am obsessed. It's spreadsheet based, though, right? I have a hard time with spreadsheets. It's amazing. It's so amazing. I'm a mind map person. You can you can look at it as a mind map oh, you if can. you want to. Yes. Okay, we're gonna talk. I about mean, you this can look offline. at it as a gallery. I don't know if it would be exactly a mind map. It wouldn't be if it was just a gallery. But there is also, I think, a mind map feature. We'll anyway. We'll deal with this later. I have all of Jason's life planned out for the next content life planned out for the next oh, that's year. Good to hear. So. So a couple of things, let's start to jump into some thoughts about next year. Yeah. I am doing a lot of the stuff that I usually do. You know, I'm doing my 300-hour program in San Francisco, doing my free 300-hour program in London. (laughs) (laughs) It's not free. End of the summer, you're doing a 200-hour program in London too. Yeah. And I'm doing it with the two Adams. Yeah. Adam Hustler and Adam Hoke. 
also known as Old School Adam and New School Adam. Which one's New School? Also known as Young Adam and Old Adam. Who's, which one's Old now Adam? Now currently also known as Instagram Adam and Nogram Adam. Adam Hoke is Nogram Adam then. Yes. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. the other ones just sound downright mean. Well, old school's not mean. No. New school's not mean. Who's old school? Which one's old school? Adam Hoke, because okay. he studied with me before Adam Hustle. Oh, old school for you. Okay, got it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yes. And which one's older, Adam Hoke? Let's make a point. They're both younger Let's than me. Let's call him wizened Adam instead Yeah, they're of... both younger than me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm starting to latch on to the younger generation as I'm seeing my future demise. <laughs> You're holding on to this <laughs> yeah. by your fingernails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know where the future lies, you know? (laughs) Okay. So that's in August. So I'm super excited about that. We'll probably be there, Sophia and I. You will be there. Yes. Not probably. And I haven't spent a month in London with Sophia since she was two and a half and she fell out of the stroller and a bird pooped on my arm (laughs) and I cried and she she was so little and said, Mama, just change your shirt. (laughs) And then I'm also doing a handful of the three-day trainings. And I've done a lot of those and I love them. So the injury management three-day program, the sequencing three-day program, and the return to your center three-day program. I know that I'm going to Austin, Seattle, Detroit, and Syracuse for those programs. I think I'm also going to do one of those programs in San Francisco. And then a bunch of just the smaller weekend stuff next year and all sorts of different places, which Mm -hmm. I'm excited about. Yeah. That actually reminds me, one of the big things I'm doing is migrating our email list to a new platform where we can, this will happen at some point, you guys, you'll get an email where you'll get to opt in to like, if you want to learn uh, to be on the list where you find out when Jason's programs are announced, you can be on that list. If you don't want to be on that list. You don't have to be on that list. So I'm I'm taking our marketing to the next level. Yeah. Segmenting it to help us and to help all of you out there who are listening. Yeah. Another thing you're going to do with me and Sophia is extremely likely we'll be back to Maui next October. Yeah. This is a couple of small little bits there. And that always fills up super quick. So- Is that open right now? Not yet. Okay. No. No, I always contact the people who have already done the retreat first to just make sure everything is settled up with them first. Okay. And I have a couple of content online trainings that I'm hoping to develop by next year, but I know you have a couple of big, exciting projects that you're working on for next year that you might want to talk about the podcast first. Okay. Talk about the podcast. So. One thing that we are hoping to do is to test out some video podcasting. Yes. Right? So the confluence of events have come together uh, that have led me to this new exciting announcement, which is that we're going to do a lot of podcasting next year between the two of us. Yes. And that's a bit of a change. I realize that. Not much of a change. I know that change is hard for some people. I have gotten comments sometimes like, are you going to keep doing, you know, your your guest interviews? And I will keep doing some guest interviews. But a lot of it, the bulk of it is going to be between you and... I or me, you. Uh, and you're the editor. Between, I know. Usually, I get that right, but I'm just lost as I'm speaking. Us between us. So yeah, I mean, I think that it's an exciting thing for me because it really does feel like the next step for me. One of the things that I wanted to do when I started the podcast was 
I wanted to be able to think on my feet more verbally. I'd spent so many years behind a computer screen and writing and editing a million times over. And I just wanted to be a little bit more nimble in my ability to communicate and put the things out into the world that I felt were really important. And I think I was also still in a phase of just, you know, when I worked at Yoga Journal, there was there was a certain attempt, and people won't believe this, but it's really true. There was a certain attempt that we, where we tried to be all things to all people. Yeah. yeah, And, you know, after three years, three plus years of doing this, I know very clearly that I cannot be all things to all people. And I can't always even be what maybe people would expect me to be. And so I have to really, in a, in a sense, it's almost like niching down. Like I really have to kind of hone my focus more and And I know who I am now and I know what I believe in. And clearly, you know what you believe in. And that's kind of what we're going to focus on. This is so clear to what I teach and what I work with students all the time. You know, there's just so many teachers feel like they have to be everything to everyone. And it's such a failing proposition. You feel, I feel very frayed around the edges after a while. The thing is, it's, it's absolutely impossible. And do you have to be kind and caring and inclusive? And should you do everything you can do to take good care and be a good provider and attendant to everyone because everyone has like inherently equal value? Yes. Are all personalities going to work for you? Are all perceptions going to work for you? Are you going to, I mean, it's like, this is like the weirdest thing, but like, there are a lot of teachers that are failing to be who they are and teach what they see as their dharma because they're afraid that it won't work for one person mm. or two people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many teachers that want to have a more consistent and methodical approach, but One person two years ago said, Jenny, I love that your class is different every day. Hmm. And so now Jenny, who's desperate because she's dying under burnout and decision fatigue to be more consistent, that that person doesn't even go to their class anymore. Mm -hmm. But that person feels like, oh my God, I can't do anything different because if I do anything different, then the certain segment of my student base is not going to work for them. And that's the reality, you know, but nothing works for everyone anyways. Yeah. It's, you know, it's it's a trap. It's a trap. It's It's such a trap. Even with the podcast, like I've mentioned a couple of times on this episode, you know, I'm at the point where I'm not just interviewing people I've known and worked with for many years. I'm interviewing new people and everyone's sending me a book every day and their friend and -and so-and-so has the best blah, blah, blah. And it's like, my brain is spread too thin. There's a certain amount of depth that you can only go into when you're not a generalist. Yeah. You know, it's kind of another thing that we talk about all the time is, I know it's a random thing, but if I tell you, if I feel like every time I teach you warrior one, I have to tell you how to position the feet and angle the back foot and how to rotate the pelvis and how to reach the arms. If I feel like I have to, in every class and every pose, give you a general understanding of the pose. There's no room for greater honing. There's no room for greater depth. There's no room for greater specificity. You're spread so thin 
trying to accommodate things. And it is a net loss because there's so many things that you could be doing and teaching that are more specific, but we're in that generalist trap because we're afraid that if we don't tell one person where to put the back foot on one day, all hell is going to break loose. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. so it's the same, it's the same thing. It's like to stay very broad and general is a good thing, but it's also, it takes away from the ability to go into more granular detail. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the truth of the matter is, I mean, it's also like, I want to be a role model in some ways and show people that you just like we've had an episode about your teaching changes, you're going to evolve, you're going to change. Like creative projects change too. Podcasts change too. You know, there are podcasts now that are just like a, a series of five at a time, you know, so it's a medium that's changing and I have to be really authentic. Yeah. It's sort of the only way I've ever been able to survive. And this is just a change that feels really right and feels really good and is going to allow me, I think it kind of leads to the other project, which is this online course that I'm going to be launching early next year. Date TBD, you guys, because I'm still working on it. But Q1. Yeah, Q1 for sure. Um, and, you know, that is the focus of that is going to be what comes up for me every time I walk into a teacher training room that where you're teaching is people say to me, like, how do I create content that works for my business and like that's sustainable and that's authentic? And I feel sometimes like I'm writing these things and I feel like an imposter or I feel like I don't. I don't know if it's my insight or an insight I heard from my teacher. And is that okay? You know, I get so many questions around this. It's a huge gap. And, you know, it took me so long to really, because I've been doing it for so long, I've said this to you several times, It's it was hard for me to sort of back into it and say, okay, where do I start for people? Like, how do I go back to the beginning of my process and how I learned how to do this? And I've spent a lot of time this year thinking about it and I'm there and I'm really excited to develop the content and yeah. to share it with people. I'm, you know, I've like mapped out the process that I think will help people and inspire them and help them feel confident. I really want them to feel confident. I yeah. think that creating content, there's no doubt that it's, it's part of your job, right? So it's not always a big party, but it doesn't have to be something that you dread. It can really be something that nourishes your own growth and your own ability to communicate your message as a teacher. Yes. It just goes so hand in hand yes. with the job. So, And, uh, you know, the position that I'm in as a teacher, I get to see where gaps in education is are mm -hmm. because I do so many supplemental trainings. Mm -hmm. You do so many serieses? Serieses. <laughs> That's so awesome. <laughs> I hope Duncan is listening to this. I see where educational gaps are. And for me, teaching the supplementary trainings and the 300-hour trainings, a lot of that is informed by what I see people just need because there are holes. And one of the massive holes, I mean, it's really strange if we're honest about it. It's really strange that as yoga teachers, we graduate from training programs without lesson plans, hmm. right? It's really strange, actually. I used to graduate people without lessons plans too. This isn't me like saying, I do it right and other people are doing it wrong. It's like, no, I, have, I am in the vantage point of seeing gaps. And this to me is a massive gap. 
and content development is part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we we graduate from these things that are short. Even if you graduated from a 500-hour program, that's still relatively short. That's a year and a half of college. That's short, right? So if you graduate from something and then you have a lot of on-the-job training, and that's what a ton of yoga development is, like so much of what I've learned is on the job, but it's easier to do that if you have a structure in place and a plan, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I think that this is a place where uh, what you will provide will be, from my experience, a really necessary compliment. I'm very excited about it. I feel like the more I'm working on it, the more things I want to include. And so we'll see. I mean, it might end up being like a several, might be a series. Series. Might end up being a series of courses. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Not everyone has our sense of humor. What else did we want to talk about? I think that there's, for me, there's two more things. One is mundane. One is important. The mundane thing is that we have a new website, right? And one of the impetus for the website was for us to have a teacher's page so that people that oh, graduate yeah. from the program are, have a, a they're connected uh, via that. So I'm really excited about that. And so it's a it's a page where you when you land on the page. There's but it's also like it's a it's visual a map. map. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's great. You can click on the map. And find a teacher that's been trained by Jason. Yeah. You know, the first time I saw it, just to acknowledge it, the first time that I saw this done was Tiffany Cruikshank. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she, I, I saw that a couple of years ago and I was like, oh, that's a really smart and supportive thing to mm-hmm, do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think she includes like, even if you've done shorter workshops, I don't. For me, I just decided I'm going to include 300-hour graduates and 200-hour graduates, so people that have earned their 500 with me or their 200-hour with me. So if you want that information because you're traveling or in different cities, there's a bunch more people to come, just people that haven't filled out the form that they need to, but that's that. And the last thing that I can think of is just you know, to acknowledge the passing of Mati. Yeah. You know, and I think the only thing, you know, the only thing that I want to say is I feel like there are just certain people, you know, I never took a class with Mati. You never took a class? Never. Wow. There are just certain people that are strong influences on your life, even when you don't meet them. Yeah. I I met Mati. We had, and we had like, I think of like the phone conversation we had about teaching part, you know what I mean? So like we had a lot of really nice conversations and at conferences, I thought she was like lovely and we really enjoyed each other and and talking, but, and she always liked me because I was your husband and she loves you. (laughs) You know, I don't want to leave anyone out of this equation. There's been so many people who are really important and really influential. And as yoga practitioners and teachers, we wouldn't be where we are without our predecessors, you know? And I have had really strong influences, but when I just take a step back and I look at the the modern landscape of vinyasa-based yoga, you know, we're trying to do something in vinyasa-based yoga in the last era, which is to also provide technique. And those two things used to not exist together. You look at the very dynamic styles of yoga, they aren't as technically proficient. Mm -hmm. You look at the super technique-oriented styles of yoga, they're not as fluid 
and movement-based dynamic. And when you look at kind of that integration of technique and flow, man, you cannot- She was unparalleled. You cannot not land on Chuck and Mati. Yeah. You know, you can't, I mean, she just stands out. And also I think about this, like, you look at the amount of people that certain people have trained, right? Uh, and I, and again, I, I am limited to my own era, but one of the first people that comes up to me, even though it wasn't my cup of tea, is John Friend. Like John and the Anyasara world trained a lot of amazing teachers. Yes, for there's sure. so many really good teachers. People. Noah, Desiree, Siana, Siana, and, and Amy and Pallidi. Yes, Amy. Yeah. So those are all amazing teachers, you know, and they came up in large part through. John and that Anyasara world, you know, he was really good at that. But here's the point. Look at who Mati has trained. Countless you know, people. Countless, mm-hmm. unbelievably good yoga teachers who are both kind of very like commercially viable. So you look at like two people that come up, Sean and Catherine, right? People that are like really commercially viable because of their personality and their approach, but also people who, those two, people who are really technically gifted, really philosophically, yogically inclined. You know what I mean? Like there's just so many people that she left an imprint on. Yeah. And also the last thing I'll say for me personally about it is like, the amount of times that in different trainings or workshops or conferences, I'd be in a conversation and someone would be like, well, when I trained with Mati, Mati said X, Y, and Z. And my immediate feeling when someone ever said that to me was like, okay, let me stop and consider that. Mm -hmm. Because even though she wasn't my teacher and I didn't spend time with her, and chances are I wouldn't have agreed with everything, I would have a hundred percent known to consider the veracity and the thoughtfulness that went behind something that she had to say, mm-hmm. yeah. you know? You know, for me, it wasn't as much of an emotional passing as it was for you because we didn't have that relationship. But just professionally and collegially, I'm really lucky that I, like so many people, are like in her Orbit. left behind trail. Yeah. Orbit. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I can't really talk about her without crying. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I guess, yes, looking back on this year, I mean, losing her was just such a huge loss for so many of us. And I wasn't even like a consistent student of hers. Yeah. Um, you know, there are people who assisted her for years. and But I would just say there's just so much about her. I think... She had this incredible combination of being such a serious practitioner and and being so devoted to learning about yoga and and the practice. And like you said, combining these two forms that had really previously not, like never the twains shall meet prior to Mati, quite honestly. And... I can remember actually one of the first things she ever said to me was the yoga world is too fundamentalist. We can't be fundamentalist. We have to learn from each other. So she had, you know, her brain and her, her, her abilities, but it was nothing without her personality and like her, her love for people and her students. And like, 
you just, if you got to have, I mean, this is where I was just really fortunate working where I worked. If you got to have a personal conversation with Mati, you knew her in five minutes. Yeah, yeah. She yeah, knew yeah. you in five minutes. There was no bullshit. There was no veneer. There was no, I'm the teacher and you're the student. She was just, she just loved people. She loved people. She yeah, did. Yeah. And all of her students, could feel that. And like all of her students, she, she loved being a mentor to the people who taught at yoga works. That's something that actually we talked about in our last interview together was just, I think I said to her, you know, what do you, what were you good at? Cause she's like, she was actually really self-deprecating. And she said, I was really good at mentoring people. Mm-hmm. I was really good at seeing talent or seeing what needed to be nurtured or seeing what needed to be stopped in a, you know in a teacher and and talking to them about that very directly and I was really good at that I really yeah. helped people in that way I think that's also what you're talking about when you say look at the teacher she's produced like they're not cookie cutter teachers yes correct they have their own approach and style and personality and she allowed that that's incredible that's where I was going back earlier is facilitating critical thinking skills and independent thinking mm-hmm. and I think the only comment I want to make from what you brought up is it's so hard to understand how difficult it is to sit in between multiple worlds that are very partisan. The Ashtanga worlds and the Iyengar world, I've spent a lot of time in both and I kind of left both. Yeah. And those are strong powerful belief systems, ideologies, practices, techniques. And she managed to stand between those in ways and integrate those in ways. And that that takes a profoundly unique set of attributes yeah. that is rare. Yeah. Because, and again, nowadays, nowadays you wouldn't see it as much. Nowadays, it's kind of like, well, of course we want to flow. And of course we want to know how to position our back foot. But man, before people like, and I'm sure there were other people, you know. She was skillful at it. And she was willing. She was so strong and feisty. Yes. She was. She probably got a lot of shit for it. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. But she just did it. Yeah. She just had to be, that's how, what she had to live that truth. Yeah. Yeah. We miss you, Monty. So the next time we will talk to all of you out there will be early January. We don't know the date, right? Uh, but this I is, believe this it's is January 8th, January, January 8th, 2020. January 8th, 2020. We're going to have a awesome season. Have, we're starting to plan it out. Yes. And have a, I actually wrote to my meditation group this week. I hope you're having a wonderful start to the holiday season if you live in the U.S. and you celebrate the holidays. And I hope that you are just tender with yourself. People celebrate the holidays other places. I know. I'm just okay. <laughs> covering all my bases. Be tender with yourself and keep your sense of humor over the season. Okay, everyone? Oh, yeah. Yes. Keep your sense of humor. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.